welcome to Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. We have to keep him at the center of everything that we do. We change methods, but we don't change principle. We change methods, but we don't change the message. You want to know how to live a righteous life? It's in here. You want to know how to be victorious? It's in here. You want to know how to be saved? It's in here. amazing in here. Of course, I know we have the young people down here with us this morning filling us up. Uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at verse number 16. You got it. Say, I got it. I got it. Still here, pages flipping. That's all right. We're going to put it in the, uh, on the Bible in the sky here. Acts chapter 13, verse 16. The Bible says, Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Amen. I just want to talk to you just for the next little bit on just simply David. He was a man that was after God's own heart. Amen. Would you help me pray this morning? Lord, we love you. God, we are so thankful for your presence. We are so thankful, God, to be standing here today. God, the opportunity to be in your house, uh, the privilege it is to come and worship you and to give you praise. Lord, we just ask God right now that your spirit would begin to move. Lord, you'd open up our hearts and our ears of understanding, God. Help us to receive your word in the name of Jesus, and we give you all the praise. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Does anybody else in here remember like their favorite recess game? Can you remember that? <laughs> Kickball. Dodgeball, dodge brick. Tetherball. <laughs> you know, it seems nowadays, especially the older you get as a as a kid, that uh, it's it's kind of funny. I was just having this conversation with somebody here recently, uh, who's youth pastoring, and uh, he was kind of we were 
kind of having some dialogue about the struggles of youth pastoring. And, and I said, man, I get it. I said, today's young people, I said, I remember saying this over and over and over again as a young person that, that my young people are dealing with things that I never had to deal with. And they, the generations are just so different, you know, and it's kind of hard. You had to be real creative on how you could relate to them, connect with them, and minister to them. And so we were just going, you know, through that. And I, I remember growing up as a kid, uh, I didn't have a cell phone, okay? That, you know, nowadays, and I'm, I'm not here to talk bad about cell phones. I love my cell phone, okay? And I'm glad that I have it. When I was a kid, I didn't have a cell phone. The only thing I knew about a cell phone was that my, my dad had one that was in a bag that was in a car that had a cord on it that you had to keep in the car. And they called those, yeah, bag phones. But anyways, that's all I knew uh, about, uh, about cell phones and stuff. But today, it seems like that's all you go into schools and stuff like that, and that's all it is. It's just kids that just want to just, you know, the, we're the scrolling generation. But back when I was in school, it was all about recess. It was all about recess was my time. I was the recess king. I don't want to brag on myself pretty much, but um, no. <laughs> But I wanted to play everything, whether it was basketball, kickball, hopscotch, jump rope, freeze tag, red light, green light, hide and seek, red rover. Can I just be honest for just a second this morning? How in the world was red rover allowed? Uh Right, Sydney? Inside old school joke there. For those of you that don't know how it's played, it's pretty simple. A line of kids hold hands and on one side of the playground while a kid from the other side runs at them with a full head of steam and tries to bust through. And the game is not over until the field is littered with broken arms, bloody noses, and shattered glasses. (laughs) Truth. Yeah, we lived. (laughs) For those of you that are here, you lived. One of Easton's favorite classes today, and it's no surprise, is, is recess. Okay, he, he loves recess. I mean, he just, he just loves being outside. The kid is, he's an outdoorsman. You know what I mean? He puts shame to me sometimes. You know, he, he just loves to be outdoors. I mean, he could, now he loves his iPad too, and he could be inside, you know, playing a game or something like, hey, buddy, you want to go ride your bike? He drops it instantly, and he's like, let's go. I mean, he loves being outside. And so one of his favorite classes, it's no surprise, it's it's recess. And uh, for those of you that are connected with us on social media, you know the story that I'm about ready to share with you, Uh, Easton's recess story. Easton comes home the other day, and, and we always ask him how his day went. You know, hey, how's your day? What did you do? And what was your favorite part? And did you get in trouble? And Easton cannot lie. He cannot lie, okay? He cannot be sneaky. He cannot get away with anything. He's got this guilty conscience, and we love it as parents, <laughs> you know, because he tells us the truth. So... Easton begins to tell my wife about recess, and he says that, he says this, he says that he asked his crush, he's six years old and he has a crush, I am in trouble, okay? He asked his crush, do you want to chase me? 
Do you want to chase me? I haven't even had the opportunity to have talk with him about yet of, hey, you, you know, hey, let girls chase you. You don't chase them. I'm kidding. I don't really believe that this morning. (laughs) Do you want to chase me? Pretty bold, right? Like, man, he's six years old and is like, hey, do you want to chase me? What's up, girl? And so to take it a step further, he, he told her this. He said, do you want to chase me? And I don't even know if he gave her the opportunity to answer. He didn't let us know. But he said this. He said, I won't walk. I won't run or even gallop. I will stand still and you can catch me. The altar is open this morning. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) He would he would hate me right now if he was in here. So don't anybody run to him after service. Like I heard the story about you on the (laughs) playground or anything like that. So how does this relate to me spiritually, Bryce? Well, I don't know. So. No, I was thinking about that, and we fought over this analogy last night of who was going to get to share this story. (laughs) And I told him, hey, I said, you may have a different angle of it than I did, but I was definitely thinking about it, and it's kind of hard not to think about it in a a spiritual sense. Um, The foundation of our faith is built upon God's relentless pursuit of you and I. We have a relationship with our Creator, not because we sought Him out, but because He is always pursuing us. And I feel this morning that if we would just learn to stand still, if we would learn to just stand still, God will catch you. God is pursuing you this morning. Whether you realize it or not, God is after you. Anybody thankful for the love of God that is constantly chasing after us? And while I am fully aware that God is pursuing us, And there is no sin that would stop him in his pursuit. There is no thing that you have done that God is not willing to bust forth and still pursue you. But there is something that can hinder us. And that is us. So this morning I want to, I want to flip the script. I want to I want to make it easy for God. Well, how do you do that, Bryce? And I'll tell you this, exactly this. I want to pursue him. 
I want to go after him. I understand that he is pursuing me. I understand that he is after me. But I want to turn around and I want with all my efforts to run after the Lord this morning. I want to become a a person that chases after God as relentless as he is chasing after me. Is there anybody that's hungry and thirsty this morning for more of him? Amen. I read a book about 15 years ago now, and um, I've shared this story before. The title of it is God Chasers. It was written by Tommy Tenney, who was the son of T.F. Tenney, who just recently passed away. And I still have the book in my office today. And this book, it is a call to those who consider themselves to be hungry for the manifested presence of God. And there is a, there's a chapter in the book, and the title of the chapter is this, The Day I Almost Caught Him. It was there that Tinney describes a service that was held in Texas in which upon the reading of Second Chronicles 7.14 and an exhortation by the host pastor to seek God's face rather than just His hand, at that moment there was a loud thunderclap that sounded and that split the pulpit into two pieces. And they said there was an overflow of people. There were businessmen who began to tear off their ties and fall on their faces in repentance. And people started to come from off the streets and just come inside the church. They would fit as many as they could inside the church. And there was some that was still happening too out in the parking lot. They began to come in and they began to weep and mourn and seek after God. Later in his book, Tinney echoes an earlier prophecy by saying, God is coming back to repossess his church. But his premise is that the only thing that hinders God from repossessing his church is the lack of spiritual hunger. The thing that will hinder God from falling on us today is a lack of spiritual hunger. Church, God is looking for those who are still hungry for His presence. A church that is not satisfied with the ordinary. And the Bible tells us that God satisfies the thirsty and He fills the hungry with good things. But we must meet the requirement of His Word in order to receive the promised reward. And that is, we must be thirsty and we must be hungry for His manifested presence. In 2 Samuel, we find David. David is secure in his position as king of Israel. And uh, at this time, the nation had gathered themselves around him and anointed him to be their king. And while David was certainly grateful for the peace that existed in Israel in those days, David still knew that Israel was far away from God. 
And so David wanted to do something about it. He wanted to, he wanted to make things right. He wanted to bring the people back to God. And so in 2 Samuel, we find David leading this massive army to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant. And David knew that Israel would never be where they needed to be with God until the Ark was restored. When you do a little study, when you go through your Bible, you'll find in Exodus chapter 25 that the Ark of the Covenant was built at the command of the Lord. The, the, the word Ark, it, it means, it means like a chest or, or, or a box. And this, this box, there was so many details to it. It was, it was overlaid in pure gold and it was topped by a, 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 a golden grate called the mercy seat. And on the sides of the mercy seat, there were these two golden chairs and inside the ark was a golden pot of manna and Aaron's uh, rod that budded and the two tables of the law that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. The ark was vital to the worship in Israel. It was symbolic of God's presence among His people. It was often carried into battle in front of the soldiers as they were marching into war. It was central to their lives. It was central to their worship. And it was central to their relationship with God. But the ark had not been kept in the central position that it deserved to be in. And as a result, neither had gone. If you flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 4, you'll find where the ark had been taken by the Philistines and the whole time the ark was in their possession, God punished them for it. And so their solution was to place the ark on a new cart and take it back to Israel. And so after 75 years, David is about to take Israel and he's about to lead them to go back after God. And see, today you and I, we don't have an ark like Israel did. We don't have this chest or this box that, that is symbolic. But you and I, we still need the presence of God just as much as as the people of Israel did. We need God on us and we need God working through us. We need His power and His manifested presence in our lives. We have to keep Him at the center of everything that we do. It doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing. Jesus has to be the center of it all. When you think of David at the, at the mere mention of his name, David, there's a, there's, there's a possibility of all sorts of thoughts just begin to cloud your mind, to cloud your judgment. And many people, they remember David as, a, as he was victorious over Goliath. And some people remember him as he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And, and some remember him as, as a, a, as a father who had many failures. And, and some remember Remember him as a humble shepherd. But in our text this morning, we find out how God remembers David. Paul quotes God in Acts chapter 13 and tells us that God looks at David as a man after God's own heart. God remembers David as a man who cared about the things that God cared about. 
A man who loved what God loved and a man who hated what God hated. Can I tell you this morning, this is exactly what the church needs today. People that still care about the things that God cares about. People that care about truth. People that care about holiness. People that love what God loves and hates what God hates. I want to be a man that is after God's own heart. I want to be a church that is after God's own heart. David's desire, it's, it's clear and it's simple. He wants the ark returned back to its proper place. He wants the ark returned back to the centerpiece of Israel. He wants God back in His rightful position. He, he wants God placed back in the center of their consciousness. David was seeking to unify a formerly divided nation with God as their true king once again. David desired God's presence. He desired God's blessing. And he desired God's guidance. David, he was motivated by no other ulterior motives. That's what he wanted. He, he wasn't, it wasn't any, there wasn't this backup plan. There wasn't this plan B. He was not after glory. He was not after power. He merely wanted to see God restored to his proper place as the sovereign God of the nation of Israel. David knew that neither he nor Israel would amount to anything without the presence and the power of God. David knew that he was king but he wasn't the king of kings he knew that he had power but he didn't have all power he knew and understood that they needed God they needed his presence let me just say this to you this morning we need hearts that 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 of David we need a heart like that which David possessed we need a heart that beats for God that beats for his power that beats for his presence we need to know and understand that without him we We can do nothing. Nothing. We have to have His presence. We have to have His power if we are going to serve Him. We need a hungry heart just like that of David. We need hungry hearts that will not be satisfied with church as usual. And I believe that is what has made the difference in our services here lately. We're not satisfied with church as usual. We're not satisfied with coming in and going through the motions and clocking in and clocking out and leaving here the same way that we came. But we are hungry for His power. We are thirsty for His presence. We understand this morning that as a church body, we need the Lord fighting for us. We have got to have His presence in our midst. It's important that we come in here this morning with the mindset of we want a move of God like we've never seen before. Amen. We want to see signs and miracles and wonders that we've never seen before. It's important that we come through these doors and we come through hungry and thirsty. And the the deal is God will not overlook that. His promise to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is they shall, they shall, they shall be filled. They shall be filled. I want a heart like David. Was David perfect? No. 
David's motives in bringing back the ark, they were, they were proper. He had his heart in the right place. But if you go through and you look at his methods of how he began to do things, you'll find that they were faulty. The Bible says that they set the ark of God upon a new cart. Everybody say new cart. New cart. David's first problem was that he either forgot or he ignored the clear command of God as to how the ark was to be transported. You see, the ark was to be lifted by means of two golden staves which were to be passed through golden rings fashioned on the corners. The ark was then to be lifted up and carried upon the shoulders of the family of Levites. David made good plans and good preparations, but he neglected to do it God's way. And you'll find where he paid a high price for his decision. Another flaw that mars David's decision is the fact that he did not seek God before he made it. Up to this point, David has always gone to the Lord for guidance. He's always gone to the Lord for direction. Time and time again, David asked God for help. And here in this moment, he does not seek God for some reason. But he just assumes that God will bless him because he's doing a good thing. If these verses teach us anything this morning, they teach us that God is very interested in the details of our life. They teach us that God, that this wasn't just, hey, back the truck up just a little bit, keep coming back a little bit further, we'll drop the tailgate right here, we'll load the ark up, and then you can just floor it to the next stop. We, it wasn't one of those moments, it wasn't one of those things. We may think that God does not care about the little things in life, but let me tell you, the Lord cares about the small things. We may think it's just a small sin, nothing major, nothing, no big deal. But when God gives us a command, He expects it to be followed to the letter. And you know what? A heart that is after God's own heart will do what God says to do and stop doing what God says not to do. God is intensely interested in the little things of life, even the things that you may think don't even matter. Trying to carry out God's business using the methods of the world is a recipe for disaster. We have no business trying to carry the church on the new carts of the world's wisdom. The emerging church that is sweeping across our nation today is trying to build churches by using new methods and and new ideas. Trying to stay away from anything that might be considered traditional. Don't misunderstand me today. I'm okay with, I'm okay with changing methods. We have to change our methods. We, we, there's no ands, if or buts about it. If our, if you look at churches that are dying, it's because they have not changed their methods. We have to change our methods, but not at the cost of compromising our doctrine, not at the cost of compromising truth. We change methods, but we don't change principle. We change methods, but we don't change the message. If you do a little search on the emerging church characteristics, you will find words like re-examination and re-evaluation and uh, 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 de-emphasis. That's another one that they'll throw out there. They believe that we need to re-examine the Bible and its teachings. 
reevaluate traditionally held doctrines. To de-emphasize on absolutes and doctrinal creeds. The bottom line in the movement is they believe that we aren't even supposed to understand precisely what the Bible means. That no one can really know what it's saying. Nobody can really understand Scripture. I heard a preacher tell a story just not too long ago. One time when he, he had attended Texas Bible College, and after that he had gone on to uh, another college. Part of his uh, requirements was that he had to take at least 10 hours of religion classes. And so he goes and he's taking classes, and, and one of his classes, he says, was the philosophy of religion. The philosophy of religion. And in this class, he was the only oneness, oneness Pentecostal preacher in the, in the whole class, a class of about 40 students. He was the only oneness Pentecostal. And one day he says, tells a story, one of the students raised their hand and they, they, they said, Dr. Kane, I have a question. And he said, I know it's not really on the subject of what we're talking about today. He said, but I, but I, have a, I just have a general question and I need some help. He said, okay, what is your general question? And the man said this, who was a pastor of a, of a church. He said, somebody witness to one of my saints and convince them that the Trinity doesn't exist. He said, could you explain to me what this really is? He said, because they have come to me and they've confused me. And he said, the professor then begins to go into an hour and a half discourse. And he said, the more and more that he talked the more that he proved the oneness of God. He said he never heard it pro- he never heard it explained any better than this professor on this day. And at the end, he knew he hadn't gotten his point across, and so at the end of an hour and a half discourse, he says to these students, he says these words, and I quote, the Trinity is a product of progressive revelation. It is not a New Testament doctrine. This is what the professor said. It has been revealed to man as time went on. And he also says that the Christians at 300 A.D. had a better revelation than the apostles because they were monotheistic. And he says, and we accept it by faith. Hear me today. Progressive revelation is going to destroy us if we don't get it out of our midst. 
It is an attack on the clarity of Scripture. The emerging church has finally risen to say, we don't know what the Bible really means and we can't be certain. And I don't believe for one second that God is trying to hide anything from us. I believe the Bible is clear as day. You want to know how to live a righteous life? It's in here. You want to know how to be victorious? It's in here. You want to know how to be saved? It's in here. Amen. We don't need to re-examine it. We don't need to reevaluate it. This word is forever settled in heaven. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain. I still believe in one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. I still believe in order to make it to heaven, you got to repent and be baptized and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's not my way. That's the Bible way. We're not going to try to carry the church on the new carts of this world or the new ideas, but it is to be carried on the shoulders and the hearts of the people of God. It is to be carried on the shoulders of the people that have a heart after God's own heart. That love what God loves and hates what God hates. I'll tell you real quick, one thing that amazes me, truly amazes me, and that is how shocked people are when God refuses to bless them when they are trying to do things their own way and not His way. It amazes me how surprised people Church, when we seek to do His business our way, He will not bless it. He cannot bless it. When we take on worldly methods and attempt to advance His kingdom, He will not bless it. When we fail to seek His will, He will not bless us. When we operate in the power and energy of the flesh, He will not bless us. When we, have, when we refuse to obey His Word, He cannot bless us. David was afraid to bring the ark up. There was a man named Obedidim who was glad to have it in his house. He knew that a clean and clean heart and a pure life had nothing to fear from God and so David closed the door to God but Obed-Edom reopened it he opened his door and God blessed him as a result and all of a sudden David hears about what's happening in this experience it totally changes his attitude the Bible says he returns to the house of Obed-Edom with a desire to carry out God's will God's way David had forgotten the reason why he went after the ark in the first place. He is reminded when he hears of the blessings being heaped upon the house of Obed-Edom, David goes after the ark and he brings it home. 
Either someone told David how the ark was supposed to be moved or he went back and he read the law for himself. Either way, he went and got it and brought it home the right way. This time there would be no shortcuts. This time there would be no disobedience. David would do it the right way. He would do it God's way. Church, when you chase after God with a heart to know Him, when you seek His face rather than His hands, when you go after Him with a hungry and thirsty heart, you are going to receive exactly that. When we stop trying to take shortcuts, when we stop looking for loopholes on how we can just barely get by, when we stop doing those things and we go after God by honoring His Word and respecting His holiness, He will bless us with His presence and He will bless us with His power. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please come see us sometime. We'd love to worship with you. God bless.